I went to, we went to stop making sense last night. Saw uh Adam Conover. Mm -hmm. He was he was there, and I was just like, do I go up and thank him? And I did. I actually did. It was and I was so awkward because I I saw him in line and wanted to do it, but like it was just too like I was trying to like time it but couldn't get it right. And then I just awkwardly he was on the aisle uh in the theater. And I was just like, I gotta do it. And I go, hey, thank you for all what you do with the strikes. And he's like, <laughs> oh, thanks, man. And I walk away and I hear his friend who's just like, we're just gonna be recognized from that from now on. <laughs> Mr. Conover, I just wanted to let you know Os Osama bin Laden was killed tonight for you. <laughs> no, so, uh, and then last, afterwards, after we did all that, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know what it's like when I trap people in my car and we're driving around. I just put on. <laughs> Uh, and it, and I and it was late at night because it was we went to a late show. It stopped making sense. And then went to Norm's afterwards for for dinner and like uh, um, we 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 got we got into a, a discussion of uh, with Ethana and David about like uh, songs that make white people get turned up. Mm -hmm. They excite white people is is what it means. Um, and because someone had talked about that and it was like "Don't Stop Believing" wasn't on their list and I was like, well, that's just BS. Like that's. <laughs> That's one that gets a lot of love people turned up, um, but it, it, it went it went down a spiral of uh, boy bands at one point. And so I have to ask you, Thomas, hmm. it's very it's very in the news right now. Were you in sync or Backstreet Boys or were you like none of them? Oh, I was Backstreet Boys all the way. OK. One hundred percent. I love that There's now no debate on the show about this because I was also Backstreet Boys. Yeah, I was like, like NSYNC, I mean, you know, obviously they were huge, but like NSYNC like didn't even exist to me. Like I knew, I knew a couple <laughs> NSYNC songs, but like I was like, like I remember not. like anytime the Backstreet Boys were on TV, I was watching it. We had, my, my sister had a couple NSYNC records. I know she yeah. had the, the one where there were like puppets on the front. Um, Celebrity. Or no, uh, no, 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 no strings attached. Sorry. No strings, no strings attached. attached. Yeah. But yeah, like was, we, we had one. all the Backstreet Boy albums. I knew all the Backstreet Boy songs. Yeah, my we I saw Backstreet Boys in concert. That was one of my first concerts, Millennium Tour. Uh, my mom got us tickets by Hell or High Water uh, to go see that BJC, BJCC Arena in Birmingham, and uh, that like Millennium was a massive. I, I tell people, I told I told a friend of mine, I told David last night. I was like, here's the thing. I was like, here's why NSYNC is so big. I was like, because they broke up. If NSYNC doesn't break up and Justin doesn't get massively like superstardom, mm. I don't think NSYNC is talked about in the same way. Mm. Because Backstreet Boys continuously have made music and continue to tour the entire time. They never like broke up and one got bigger than the other. And I was mm -hmm. like, I think that's what's helped NSYNC's legacy more than Backstreet's Boy, Backstreet Boys. Because Backstreet Boys, I think like they outsold NSYNC by a lot in that period of time. Millennium was still one of the biggest albums of all time. Mm. And yeah, they, they're, they're, Backstreet Boys is still the the highest, the best-selling boy band of all time. <laughs> By yeah. far. Let me see. By, so Backstreet Boys claimed, this, yeah, this is how we're starting the podcast today, everyone. Uh, <laughs> Backstreet Boys claimed uh, 130 million records sold worldwide. NSYNC only 70 million. Now, granted, you can argue Backstreet Boys have 10 albums and you might only know of like four of them. So, and you know, mostly all of NSYNC's. So that's that. But, but I think I, it's just like hands down, you know, any, anytime I get into this argument, I'm just like, there's like, who's the best 
who's the best boy band who's the best boy band and i'm like what's the best boy band song and it's mm. i want it that way and like everyone like nsync fans still have to agree that that is the best yeah boy band song to come out of that era yeah i mean it, it was a time it was a time thomas mm-hmm. again I, I i saw them fly in on surf like surfboards like at the millennium tour it was like the space it was larger than life <laughs> that music that space type things they're all dressed like space suits or whatever and like and they came in singing larger than life oh what a time to be alive in 2000 or whatever <laughs> it was 99 maybe um but yeah i was I, I yeah that was my late night rant uh in the car i was like here's why backstreet boys are bigger that is bigger than nsync in my opinion um but anyway enough about that thomas let's let's get on to what we're talking about this month and this episode we're we're concluding our month our our very unique month of stuck in a small town movies before you do that i am brandon sparks i'm thomas horton and this is the nation podcast and you pitched this genre to me very early on mm-hmm. and let's and i want you to give everyone a recap on what we've talked about because weirdly and i'll listen in a negative way it feels like i've been doing this genre for a while <laughs> and i think it's because we did so many movies with the patreon with mm-hmm. uh two hung fu and cars and doc hollywood and now i'm i think i even watched a few things outside of the podcast they're in the similar vein and i was like oh my god i'm seeing all these things pop up of like what happens to these movies so mm-hmm. what have we talked about um, I mean, we talked about, you know, the plot structure is fairly similar to a lot of these. Uh, a, someone from a big city comes out to a small town, either usually either for a job mm-hmm. or for, you know, some sort of assignment or their means of transportation breaks down and strands them there. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two the two reasons to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to end up there. Yeah. Like, um, and we, we've talked with Bad Day at Black Rock. It's like it's a. He goes there for a reason, but he's stuck there because there's no train. Mm-hmm. He just has to wait. Um, and then, you know, when they get there, they start to kind of meet the locals. We've talked about how this is a very strong genre for character actors, for supporting yep. actor roles, because it, it there's a lot of kind of quirky or interesting uh, kind of side characters, supporting characters that are afforded in, in these scripts. Um, and then we, we kind of talked about who... That, that depending on which way the movie goes, it can be either that the visitor, the the main character, the, the person incoming is an agent of change, that they change mm-hmm. the town, or that the town inflicts change upon them. Yeah. Um, we ha- we yeah, had a couple... More, it's more the latter a lot of yeah. times. I think it's yeah. that. I think, you know, with, with Local Hero, we had kind of a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone kind of left changed from that experience. But, but yeah, a, a lot of times in the in the in the doc hollywood format it's kind of the 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 main character who's changed and might end up eventually you know deciding to go back um but yeah, yeah. i think it, it kind of works you know you guys covered a, a drama western mystery last mm-hmm. week but um but it's a very similar formula um a, yeah. a lot of i think a lot of people think comedy when they hear about this and i think it is kind of a like like we said it's a sub genre of kind of fish out of the water comedy a lot of the storytelling is derived from that idea of like a fish out of water uh story but but yeah it works it works for drama it works for horror uh it's kind of popped up all over and and you know i've mentioned it a few times it really works for television i think most people who listen have probably seen schitt's creek which is the most modern example of that and and i brought up northern exposure a few times but um 
yeah there's a lot of a lot of potential for interesting characters and for and you know we're we're used to kind of our main character being our introduction to a world so for that main character to kind of be thrust into a new world while we're watching them Mm -hmm. is you know really the core of storytelling there yeah i'm pretty sure the heart heart of dixie was that as well Mm, on tv right because it's like yeah accepts not well it's not stuck but she she she's a new york doctor who accepts a a job in alabama blue mm. bell alabama <laughs> not a not a real place but there is an ice cream there is an ice cream um yeah it, it, yeah with a uh, bad that black rock is an example where it's it's one we talked about how like the character changes like like there's a sense of hope at the end of that movie with the town of like mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna change our ways because of you coming here um we talk about two wong fu was that those are the few examples where the the person uh creates change within the town they leave um and then here is a very interesting one because i think today it's a mixture of both i think both are affected in some way the person mm-hmm. who gets stuck there and the town is changed by him well that's cha- that's literal he changes it literally uh <laughs> by the end of it um and that that movie today is hot fuzz yes and so for those who do not know Hot Fuzz released in 2007, directed by Edgar Wright and written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, is about a London metropolitan police officer who is just really good at his job. And he is so good at his job that his superiors like, you're making us look bad. bad. We're going to send you to this small rural town, Sanford, which is the regular village of the year winner uh, in this town. And basically it's a slower life compared to the almost like london metro metro urban life that nick nicholas angel played by simon Pegg, usually deals with he gets partnered up with nick frost who plays danny butterman a younger police officer just loves buddy cop movies and like almost wishes he was in a big city cop basically mm-hmm. um and as they're there the slow life happens but all of a sudden these mysterious deaths begin to occur and nicholas angel believes there's something up and that becomes our almost agatha christie like mystery of what's who or what is responsible for all these deaths in the small town of sanford uh star simon peg nick frost jim broadbent timothy dalton uh, a slew of english character actors and actors a very young olivia coleman um pops up here for completely forgot she was in this movie (laughs) yeah same because 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 we'll go with this now. What is your history with Hot Fuzz, Thomas? Um, I I mean, obviously, big Edgar Wright fan, big yeah. Cornetto trilogy fan. But it was, um, I, I had uh, Shaun of the Dead on my iPod Touch. It was the only movie wow. that I. It was the only movie that I owned on my iPod Touch, and I watched that like basically anytime I was like, you know, stuck in a car or something. I was like, well watching watching Shaun of the dead so like for the cornetto trilogy i know this is a lot of people's favorites out of the cornetto trilogy but like Shaun of the dead was always like top for me um Mm -hmm. and didn't see this one until it came out on dvd and i think picked it up at like walmart or something and watched it a couple of times in college i like had some some buddies in college who also loved it but it, it was never one that reached like like peak like quoting like i've I've had people before like quote hot fuzz at me and i'll be like huh and they'll be like you know hot fuzz you know somebody <laughs> be like mm, shame and i'll be like uh, okay and they'll be like 
is that a game of thrones reference they're like no you know hot fuzz and um hag (laughs) um so yeah you know it's it's one i've seen a few times but i hadn't revisited in in years so it was interesting revisiting it for sure because i was like oh olivia coleman yeah yeah i i this was big i i remember in high school my my good friend good friend beck mentioned this to me and i never heard of it and i think i was a freshman i think it like yeah, I think it might have come, and I was too young to go to an R-rated movie at this time. The shows you how to date me, uh, but I was a freshman, so I was like 15, fifteen, I think is what it was. And he was older, and he had seen Hot Fuzz. So, oh man, it's so good, it's so great. Like you gotta, go, <laughs> you gotta see it when it comes out. But it was like it was only in theaters in, in Alabama for I think a, a short time, and then so I saw it on DVD as well, and loved it. And then saw it a few more times, and then I, I probably have not seen it since college, and I know what you didn't mention is the thoughts that we sometimes have about this movie of people claiming it to be like an underrated. Oh yes. Film. No, it's properly rated. If everyone, if everyone on the internet loves a movie, then that means that it is yeah properly exactly. beloved. <laughs> and this is not saying it's not a bad thing. It's just saying like, I think it's well accepted. No, this is a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, is it things so it would be on Reddit? You're like, no, it's a really good movie from 2007. Hot fuzz. No one talks about it. No one talks about like, it. Yes. Everyone talks about it. Everyone talks about it. Um, but no, I, I think this time coming to it was interesting because we, I mentioned this on the podcast a lot. Um, we have a movie watch group that we do uh, that we also call the Cornetto Film Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out CFS. Um, but we, we watch movies a lot and it's based off of Edgar Wright's thousand favorite movies. We've been doing it for about six years now is what it is. And we get to watch movies. And this time what's interesting coming back to this is having watched a lot of his movies that he loves and seeing them pop up in something like this. Like there's so many movies I've seen with him where like, this isn't a Jalo, but it has a weird like Jalo type storyline mm-hmm. to it that oh, he yeah. will do later, later on last night at Soho. Um, and a lot, and a lot of these like almost like folk horror in a, in a way, like the wicker man mm-hmm. and uh, things like that are definitely popping up in this movie is the thing of, well, of at, at least two of the movies that we've covered this month are on his list. Yes. Uh, like, local hero and bad day at black rock. Yes. And then what was the, what, what else did we, and I think groundhog day as well. So, you know, he's definitely also been influenced by this subgenre. Yeah. I, I think groundhog day is, I'm not, I don't quote me on it. Let me see. I'm going to go to my list real quick. It is on his list. So yes, all, Three, if it, it, we we didn't plan this, but we're just building to this, Thomas. <laughs> is that we were building to, to to analyzing Edgar Wright's uh, kind of directorial style and writing style and tropes because of this genre. But it is kind of true, um, and we'll actually it actually funny it'll play into kind of this little bit um, the story. But yeah, he I guess he really does like this genre a lot. Um, but yeah, I began to see kind of a lot of the stuff that we've watched over the years in the group pop up in this movie if it's directing style of the writing style um even even actors as well um uh and also being a uk uh, a, a british person you gotta have someone that's james bond in your movie this mm. kind of thing <laughs> uh, with, with timothy dolphin so let's dive into the history of how hot fuzz got to production so in the early 2000s edgar wright quickly became a fan favorite in terms of comedy directors with the release of 2004's Shaun of the Dead, as Thomas was talking about. Wright had been working for several years in British television before the release of Shaun of the Dead, and at the end of the 1990s, 
Wright actually directed the British sitcom Spaced, which mm-hmm. was created by Jessica Stevenson and Simon Pegg, while also starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Now, Pegg thought of Wright for the job of Spaced after working with him on a British show called Asylum, a short-lived comedy that took place at a mental institution, which Edgar Wright created, directed, and co-wrote. And Pegg was also one of the leads in the show and one of the writers as well. So they had formed a a working relationship pretty early on. So after Spaced, Pegg and Wright would co-write Shaun of the Dead together, their take on a zombie movie. Now, as we are kind of saying, many of Wright's movies are based within specific genres or styles of filmmaking he likes. And several of his movies feel like he says, I want to take make this type movie, but make it British. Mm-hmm. And after the success of Shaun of the Dead, which is his British zombie comedy, Wright began thinking of an idea he'd been wanting to do since he was a teenager. So in 1993, at the age of, I believe, 19, uh, Edgar Wright directed a short film called Dead Right, a Zucker Brothers-style comedy that parodied the action thriller genre, specifically Dirty Harry starring Clint Eastwood. Apparently the working title for Dirty Harry at one point was Dead Right. Hmm. And this film was shot in his hometown of Wells, England, a city some call the smallest city in England, basically. Now, I bring up Dead Right because it seems like a precursor to what would end up becoming Edgar Wright's next project, project, hot fuzz and i think he even said it's hot fuzz without the budget <laughs> hot fuzz without the budget uh Wright said he was he was thinking about cop movies and how there isn't really a tradition of cop films in the uk he said that him and simon Pegg discussed it and they talked about how a lot of the countries they know of have great cop action movies if it's like the italian the italian police dramas or whatever but the uk really didn't have any Peck said in an interview that the British policeman doesn't have cinematic prospects. Even in British cinema, it's more of the detectives that get the limelight. It's more of a procedural detective story. Wright follows up saying, you take a staple of American cinema, the brash action film, and transplant it into a different context. I think that is from material the U.S. is better equipped to understand the jokes. They're saying he thinks some of this movie will be better understood by uh, Americans, essentially. Now, this might not be known to many, but Wright is a stickler for research. And David and I talked about this during our Monster Movie Month. We talked about Attack the Block, that Wright told his good friend and director of that movie, Joe Cornish, that research was was the key to every script, no matter what it was. So Peg and Wright started their research by watching countless cop movies. They said they watched around 138 cop-related movies for dialogue and plot ideas. They also interviewed uh, a lot of police officers. Wright said they interviewed at least 50 different officers for this movie. They went around to little stations across England interviewing local officers, asking them questions about their life, and just finding out more about them. While doing research for the film, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg discovered that a disproportionate number of police officers were named either Nick which is Nicholas Angel's name, mm-hmm. or An- which or Andy, which led the character names the two Andys in mm-hmm. the movie. Uh, they also came up with the name of Sanford, which is the town name in the movie, in their research as well. Sanford is the name given to the town used for most UK police training scenarios. And the street plan of, of which is based on the street plan of Dundee, Scotland. Uh, they also used Roger Ebert's Bigger Little Movie Glossary as a source for cliches because they wanted <laughs> to put all the action cliches they could think of 
into this movie. And this included things like having a character wake up in a dark hotel room and flick on the light light switch without having to fumble for it. Uh, having a shot of the median lines in the road from a moving camera. So that's when they're driving back to London or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or or like a simple person or, or a, a seemingly, nice, seemingly nice person in charge that's actually the, the big bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, they also took cliches from Mad Max, Lethal Weapon, Man on Fire, Bad Boys, and Chinatown. Forget it, Nick. Nick, it's, uh, it's mm-hmm. Sanford. The process of this writing would take a total of 18 months. Wow. It would take it would take eight months just to finish the first draft of the script. And the first draft of Hot Fuzz, Sergeant Angel actually had a love interest that appeared throughout the story. Uh, her name was Victoria, but they realized after that first draft that she kind of muddled the story a little too much. So they cut her out, and Danny, Nick Frost's character, took a lot of her lines, apparently. Hmm. They would then spend another nine months after that first eight revising the script. Wright said they would then work with actors in the script, and they'd actually spend a whole week with Nick Frost going through the script to get his take on it. They told Frost they were writing a role for him, and Frost said he would do the movie if he got to name his character. <laughs> so he so he decided on Danny Butterman. Uh, for part of his preparation for the role, Frost was tasked with watching over 20 action movies uh, because I heard I always heard that he wasn't a big action movie fan, hadn't seen a lot of them. So he, so basically said, hey, you got to watch 20 of these. Go, okay, cool. He only watched one of them. And it was Bad Boys 2. Ah, uh, okay. Frost, however, did do some ride-alongs with a few police officers in London to get a <laughs> sense of what it was like uh, to be a police officer. Uh, when talking about the differences between city and country police, Frost said, the way you police those kinds of communities is so careful and measured. You might arrest someone on Friday, and they might be driving you to work on the bus on Monday. <laughs> everyone knows everyone, and that's a big deterrent to crime. You don't want to be embarrassed in front of people you know. For Simon Pegg's preparation, he had weapons training and also learned how to skid a bicycle properly along the way. Uh, he also lost a close to 30 pounds to play this role. That's what it was. Wow. For the title of the film, Edgar Wright talked about how a lot of the 1980s and 1990s action movies had titles that had very little to do with the actual plot of the movies, using Lethal Weapon, Point Break, and Executive Decision as examples of this. Uh, Peg joked that many of the action titles seemed like they were generated from people having a hat of adjectives and a hat of nouns <laughs> and someone just pulling one out from each and said, okay, that'll do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wright initially wanted the spelling of the title to be hot fuzz with two T's because a lot of movies they were emulating had the same number of letters in each name is what it was. Uh, huh. But Peg's, but Peg said, I don't want to have to explain that in every press tour interview of what the extra T is. <laughs> So it became just hot fuzz with H O T. Well, I'm trying under siege. That's yeah. Lethal That's weapon. Lethal was weapon. One. There was a, there was a few other ones that he had. I was just thinking that when you were talking about like action movie naming tropes, I was thinking about that that joke that you know all of Steven Seagal's movies are titled so that you can say Steven Seagal is blank. Under oh. What what's more of his uh... <laughs> what. Are what are see i haven't I, this is a big i'm a minute here on the podcast and i don't know how it's gonna go with people never seen a steven seagal movie steven seagal is beyond the law 
and people people are like you've never seen one so i have to remedy that within the next month it feels like um and i might cut this out completely so so people don't know yeah steven seagal above the law anyway steven seagal is a pistol whipped <laughs> steven seagal is out of reach steven seagal is out for a kill There, there is something at the at the video store at Cinefile. There was like a four pack of Steven Seagal movies I might have to buy now. Steven Seagal is on deadly ground. Steven Seagal is marked for death. Steven Seagal is out for justice. That's everyone yeah. tells me about his names. It's like his, his Casey Ryback is his name in Under Siege and uh, Gino Fellino and out for justice. <laughs> Gino Fellino. Hell yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, enough about Steven Seagal. Um, so when it comes to the cast of Hot Fuzz, many of the roles were tailored for specific actors. In 2004, after Shaun of the Dead, Jim Broadbent came up to write and peg at the BAFTA Awards and told them he loved Shaun of the Dead and he hoped they would consider him for their next movie. <laughs> so they wrote Inspector Frank Butterman for Jim Broadbent. For Patty Considine, he did the same thing and they wrote a role for him as well. Nice. For, the role of, for the role of Simon Skinner, uh, the duo wrote the role as a Timothy Dalton type. <laughs> like we'll never get Timothy Dalton for they, this. They said it was pretty late in the process when they realized, you know, we could probably get Timothy Dalton for this. And I've heard confl conflicting reports on this, but uh, when it comes to Timothy Dalton's mustache, at one interview, Peg said that Dalton didn't want to grow it out for it. But I wonder if that was a joke because I've said, I've heard, I've read several occurrences of Dalton wanting to have a mustache, even though it wasn't said in the script. He <laughs> wanted to reference his earlier performance in Flash Gordon, I think Prince Baron, where he plays a villain with a mustache. Uh, the rest of the town folk were rounded out by a number of talented English actors that you might not fully recognize if you don't know a lot of British films or just films of the 70s and 80s, but Billy Whitelaw plays Joyce Cooper, the woman who runs the hotel in town, and she previously acted... or portrayed the dem demonic nanny in the omen ah. uh edward woodward who plays tom weaver a professor who watches over the town uh with his surveillance cameras was the lead actor the, the investigator in the wicker man oh yeah paul freeman who plays reverend shooter mm -hmm. do you know who he was no he looked familiar but i didn't i didn't look him up it's belloc and writers of the lost ark belloc yeah, Belloc. he's also he's also Ivan Ooze and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah, well, I, w I wouldn't have known that one. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, that's why he looks so familiar. Damn, yeah. I've seen that movie. Don't even know how many times. Yeah, Beloche. They call him Beloche. <laughs> uh, Stuart Wilson plays Robert Hatcher, the town doctor, and he was the lead villain in Lethal Weapon Three. Uh, mm. And then you have Olivia Coleman and Rafe Spall uh, in supporting roles, and 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 before they really got big nice oh he was uh he was montero in in zorro yes Stuart wilson yes yeah i had read i don't know how true this is because because some of these are, are conflicting but i had read that wright cast a lot of those people in the in the role of the the townspeople that end up being the bad people uh that he cast people that were villains in previous movies Mm. So that when it happened, you weren't surprised by it was the thing. 
And so with the cast in place, Wright and the team would start rehearsals. And Peg said the most important part of it is right before we shoot it, we actually rehearse with the cast. People have said their lines before they get to set. He's like, I've done films where you're on set with barely a read-through, and suddenly you're into it. It is nicer to have hung out with at least some of the cast. It helps with chemistry. And with the cast assembled and a script locked, let's move on to our favorite scenes. So Thomas, what do you have first? Um, I mean, I love the I love the intro. I, I think it's very like, you know, it's very Edgar Wright. It's it's very to the point and, and cutty and funny and, um, you know, kind of going through going through his resume and, and how smart he is and how straight edge he is. And um, and then, yeah, that the first 20 minutes, I think, are great, which which yeah. sometimes for a comedy is like, you know, mm-hmm. especially kind of movies like this. If we're talking about this subgenre is. A lot of times it's just kind of like, all right, let's get them to the town already. But, yeah. um, but the scene, you know, the scene with the continue, you, you, do you really want me mm-hmm. to get the supervisor? Do you really, you really want me to get him? And then it just keeps getting like more and more famous as you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that you can just feel like you said with, um, with Jim Broadbent, I do, you can just feel that like everyone saw Shaun of the, Shaun Dead, of the Dead and everyone yeah. wants to be in this movie now. And so you get this yeah. like, martin freeman um steve coogan steve coogan uh well now i mean he'd already worked with bill nye but it's great to see him back and then and then from there straight into the the kate blanchett uh -hmm. i don't know if you call it a cameo or mystery appearance or what um kate blanchett in a full mask for the whole thing do you know who else has a appearance in this movie I, I know that Peter Jackson is in it. I've never, yep. I, I looked for him this time. I thought he was supposed to be like in the scene with Kate Blanchett, but he's definitely, nope. I don't think he is. Yeah. He, he is the Santa that stabs. Oh, know, okay. With a picture of the knife through the hand. Yeah. It's, it's Peter Jackson. Too, I know. I, I, I always knew it was one of those things where it was like Peter Jackson and Kate Blanchett are both in hot fuzz, but like you don't see either of their faces, but um, yeah. Yeah. yeah when, once I saw it, uh, it's definitely Peter Jackson when you look at it um, but he's he's in that part right there um but yeah i love when they're all like frankly uh nick or, or angel you're embarrassing us mm-hmm. like you're making us look bad <laughs> i love the, the you're way doing you know, so much freeman's freeman's like do you really do you really want me to get him on the phone do i really have to get him on the phone and he does and then but then when we get to the bill nye part it's like do you really want me to get him and he's like yes i do and then he's like oh he's here <laughs> yeah it just calls them in. No, it, it's a really fun opening. And, and again, we talk about these these movies, the stuck in a small town, where like you have to establish that they're like this character is hated because of like, but it's also because they're focusing their job so much in a way. Yeah. It's like yeah, yeah, don't doesn't fit in in where they're coming from in some yes. way. Um, yes, yeah. I don't think we've had a single one of these movies where they're like leaving whatever place they're coming from and everybody's like oh my gosh don't go like yeah yeah, yeah. it's yeah but they're they're always kind of running or being chased away from something or, or have, have yeah. been turned away from something yeah or when they leave they're being told like we're not gonna miss you yeah like we're not gonna miss you at all um but yeah i love again again seeing the kind of like the the contrast and the the city life of all the jobs he's doing and like got injured and did this and did that and did that. And then he gets to the town of Sanford. And it's like, okay, what do I do? And then essentially he starts like, he starts doing like, 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 uh, uh, like kind of arresting people, but it's for like the simplest things or it's like, it's the kids that are 
drinking under 20 or who are under under 18 it's the, the uk and he kicks them all when's out your birthday he, yeah when's your which birthday? year every year <laughs> every year that's the big joke everyone uses around, i think february 22nd i think and then it's like it was it's like 1978 uh, you're 30 or you're 38 years old yeah that one made me that one made me double take for a second when he said he was born in like the late 70s and they're like oh you're in your mid-30s i was like oh my god when did this movie come out (laughs) i feel so old yeah it's like oh no i mean it is it is weird like like, this funny thing about this movie this is a side thing but like when researching it and watching the movie it feels like it could be released nowadays honestly the, the look of it is amazing but when I go into like the the BTS of like the press tour stuff, like oh this is so 2007, <laughs> <laughs> like the clothes everyone's wearing, the technology, like I'll talk about it later. But like I found like an interview where Edgar Wright did with like Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah for Superbad, and I was like this is a this is a flashback right here. <laughs> um, what a time. Uh, but yeah, I like when he and he goes to uh, but the kind of stuff he starts to do. He's like. Oh yeah, I make stuff happen. Or like Nick Frost is like, oh, I just wish I was you. I'm gonna like actually like do my job. He's like, we're on our job right now. Like you can do it. Um, but when he goes to see, um, oh gosh, uh, the farmer Arthur Wibley, played by David Bradley, mm. um, from from uh, Harry Potter and many other things, and Game of Thrones, and Game of Thrones. Sorry, <laughs> um, I was introducing from through Harry Potter, so that's that's what it is. But no, when they're when they're trying to talk to him, we have to bring the the guy along with the dog to be the interpreter mm-hmm. and and they find all the he's like uh not get this these one. guns found them yeah found them found them uh and they find the basically the mine is what it is uh was it like a submarine mine is what it what, what was like what was the yeah um, yeah, yeah it was a yeah, yeah. like a naval mine naval like, from, mine. like like from finding nemo yes this is how it connected to um but yeah found it <laughs> um but and but then, that's the funny part with again with the with the officer that also is the interpreter like again talking about nicholas about angel like being accustomed to town by the end like he understands them when like mm-hmm. when when danny's like he said this he goes danny i know like <laughs> yeah i i got it um uh but yeah i, I like that stuff um and and yeah, I, I like the kind of him getting like just meeting everyone, meeting Skinner and all this stuff. Um, I'm a slasher. Lock me up. Yeah, <laughs> a prices. <laughs> um, oh, Timothy man. Dalton is so good in this the, movie. The the only the only Bond to to never joke uh, in a comedy just, role is 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 great. You know, I mean Timothy Dalton is is again I, I think he's fantastic. Again, I I, I am on the the train of of loving his two bond movies um we need a third one we need a third one um <laughs> but uh yeah i think i think he's great uh with all that um i i like when to jump around a little bit i like when they start discussing like why they wanted to be a cop is what it was mm-hmm. um and kind of the reasons why find that his uncle was like uh uh, was actually selling drugs the entire time. He was like, "Yeah, everyone hated me because I was like trying to get everyone arrested when I was a young kid." And my uncle was arrested for drugs. He probably paid for my like thing. My, it was it was like a, I guess like a, a red bike ra- or something. I think it was a, a wagon, right? Wa- wagon. He's like, "Yeah, paid for it probably with the drug money." <laughs> 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 um, and again, the kind of revealing of like of like Danny's like backstory of the his mom died in a a, a traffic 
accident or whatever it is that's mm-hmm. high high a number of traffic accidents but not a number of murders or, or or like fatal crimes in this in this town um yeah i like all that i i, I like again talking about meeting skinner but also the again angel is just trying to create like crime wherever he goes is kind of kind of thing or, or or really spot it to like get other rest so like when he gets the, in the supermarket when he gets the guy who's trying to steal stuff or whatever and does the whole fence jumping mm-hmm thing what's which the matter the, never taking a shortcut yeah which is the big uh big reference to shot of the dead i mean this mm. is like we'll talk about with the Cornetto trilogy like this is where it solidifies it as a trilogy and not just like a callback if that makes because like mm-hmm. when this came out everyone was talking about how like there's gonna be a third one there's gonna be a third one like this is the big deal when i think they just like threw it stuff in as like jokes initially as like callbacks and then it just became like oh we should do a third one mm-hmm but we'll wait a little, a little longer. Yeah, we've already parodied almost every genre ever, so we just need one more movie and we can hit like all of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's another scene you have? Um, I mean, when I, I, I think, like you were saying, I, I think what I was most surprised with coming back to this was like kind of the horror aspect of the murders, yes. especially yes. having watched a lot more Giallo, mostly thanks to Edgar Wright since yep. the, the last time I, I had visited this um but yeah just you know with the with the kind of cloaked figure showing up in the background and then you know kind of moving into the first uh murder of the the actor and his and his mistress Mm -hmm. the the lawyer um and you know the kind of the hard cut to their their decapitated heads on the on the pavement i was like oh this is his this is him doing like giallo this is you know this is him doing horror this is yeah you know we, we've seen it in in don't and and now of course we've actually gotten like a real horror movie from him with um one night in soho but um yeah i think uh i i, I that was a, the big surprise to me coming back to it yeah. yeah i was like this is this is horror this is like slasher right yeah. here especially when we get like the the the, the pivot point is honestly when when tim when tim dies tim messenger dies mm-hmm. when when the steeple like falls on his head that's when it just gets crazy yeah basically is the thing that's where it takes that huge left turn where you realize oh we're we're in for some stuff now yeah but i mean that's that's very shallow the 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 decapitating and like posing the bodies and the the you know yep. the like murder of of the uh merchant but then like setting it up to look like an accident with the with the the beans on toast um yeah, yeah it's it's yeah that, that that part that all really surprised me but but didn't you know as soon as i realized it i was like oh yeah of course because like i don't want to say half but like a lot of the stuff on his list is kind of that there, that like there, 60s 70s yeah. era of of giallo yeah, it's a lot of stuff. it's it's the the Dario Argento or the Mario Bava, the kind of like stylish horror movies. Where Last Night in Soho is is very much a serious take on that mm-hmm. genre. When this just feels like, because that's the thing. It's like they're they're parroting cop movies, true, but like there's not a lot of cop movies I feel like that have this much like gore and blood in it. So it's a mix of like. That's like again, like like because Jalos are mysteries essentially is the thing. Yeah, and, and I, that's I think a lot doing. of the kind of like a lot of the kind of like shoot 'em up cop movies that they yeah. are ultimately parroting in the end, yes. and and I would probably say is like the main focus of the of the film of the parody. A lot of those aren't like 
super heavy on the mystery you know like no like lethal weapon never cared like that much about the like mystery of it all it wasn't i wouldn't call it a whodunit um no whereas this one is kind of leaning into the, the more kind of whodunit aspects of giallo which as i agree if you listened uh last year we talked about mm-hmm. some some giallo yeah, um, house screamed house that screamed it you know it was it started as detective fiction mm-hmm. and then kind of melded with horror from there so so yeah that's i think that's definitely what he's aiming for with that stuff um but yeah i think i think all the all the murders are are very well done for like humor but also well thought out and executed and and somewhat shocking yes i agree um again the steeple ones is like is a hard one to like (laughs) like it's it's big um but yeah, and I love to uh, backtrack a tad bit, like when they're watching cop movies together, when they're actually bonding as friends or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. Point Breaker, Bad Boys Two, which they're like, no, 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 which one do you want to watch first? Yeah. So are you shitting me? Um. Uh. But yeah, it, it's and again, time of the mystery, it, it becomes more of the mystery in that back half again, where he's like trying to investigate it, and that part when like the 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 lay lights that slip that like have you found the killers yet? And he's like, oh, just mm-hmm. one killer. And he's eating the Cornetto and realizing, oh my God, it's more than one. Mm-hmm. And it's after he's had that fail, a good scene with, with Timothy Dalton, where Timothy Dalton's just kind of eating scenery, it feels like, with the with the shitting grin in a way, when, they're, when he's like, when you have no evidence of any of this or whatever, mm-hmm. when they're kind of discussing it, it's great. Um, and then the big like reveal <laughs> of this society. Um, and he realizes- good. Uh, yeah. He thinks it's all this big conspiracy again, this kind of giallo to like a like mystery of like, well, because you killed him because this person's attached to this, they're big in the council, there's this big land deal going on, like you you, you want to kind of end all this. Like, no, they were just like terrible at acting. They they butchered yeah. William Shakespeare. What else could they do wrong? We're just trying uh, to preserve the sanctity of the town. Yeah. And it's this idea, and we'll talk about it later, it's it's like it's that they were taking again that small town at that that setting. And taking okay, cool. What's something that they want? Like that they don't. It's not the conspiracy aspect. Again, they don't have those those big aspirations of being like rich or whatever. It's like no, we love. We want to win village of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, and your shitty acting is gonna hurt us. Or like these kids out drinking is gonna hurt us. Or uh, that monstrosity of a house that looks like an American suburban house in the middle of our village. Yeah, the kids in the hoodies and yeah. the jugglers, the crusty yeah. jugglers, the crusty jugglers crusty jugglers um the 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 cult the golden street de- street performer that they end up killing <laughs> like and then that getting a big again later on when it's like when he when he goes in like the catacombs and like finds all these like bodies mm. of all the people you've seen and you're like oh my god and that, again that's a ve- that again all that's a very shallow moment of the big reveal of the it's it's the whole thing it's almost a very active christie uh thing of like oh it's all of them it's the whole town set this up like um and yet yeah, it, it, the stakes it's like it's a big thing but it's that it's you it's a misdirect of what you think the mystery is mm-hmm. um and then of course the massive big action set piece at the end yeah just every it's it's again again talk because i think it keeps talking about too which feels very much like they they, they definitely saw us in the movie where like they're like when the cops like i don't use my gun i haven't used it in years or whatever and that's about him like using his guns again to like mm-hmm. save save the town that he's fallen in love with 
Um, it's pretty much like The Rock and The Rundown with Sean William Scott. That's the whole <laughs> thing is that The Rock's character won't use a gun and then at the end uses a gun to like save the town, uh, basically. I wonder if that's stuck in a small town, but they're in Brazil instead. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a fun ending. Um, I, ha- I have a few nitpicks that I will save for later uh, on what didn't work. Um, okay. But well, I mean... How do you feel about the ending? Overall, uh, I think it's I think it's fun. I think it's okay. um, I I think it's interesting that they specifically shout out, uh, you know, Michael Bay, yeah, and um, Catherine Bigelow with the movies that they reference. When I feel like watching this, I feel like like Tony Scott has the the biggest kind of fingerprint on this well, movie. You are correct. And I know, I know that Edgar Wright loves Tony Scott. Big um, Tony Scott fan. Because I think I've got, uh, I think it's the the 4K Blu-ray for um, True Romance. I think Edgar Wright wrote like an essay for it. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, I think it's fun. You know, I, I I'm one of those people. <laughs> I feel weird going on record about this because everyone, might, you might know if you're a fan of this podcast that there's one Edgar Wright movie I don't love. Um, <laughs> but. I do, it's been I do. brought up by multiple listeners of like, why is it Thomas like this movie? Um, for the most part, I do really love Edgar Wright just kind of doing his thing, and I, I mean, it, it it is it is homage, it is parody, but he's yeah. someone that has such a tight grip on on filmmaking and specifically yes. kind of other filmmakers before him and how to send them up and everything. That that yeah, I do. I think you know, there's there's so many shots in that final showdown that are just like you know the it's the the woman on the bicycle doing the doing the true grit you know it's like yeah. the exact shot from true grit um it's uh yeah i think i think it's fun a lot of john woo stuff i know yeah. it's like oh, the, yeah, the, for do, sure. the doves flying mm-hmm. and it might I, go on like a little long like i don't necessarily need like as much car chase as they've got in between um, i mean that's my issue with the movie is that it, it's it's a little too long. Yeah, and I hate to, I hate I, I hate saying that as a negative, but there's parts where I was like, I feel like this mystery c- could be sped up a little bit. And there's parts that just it needs to be sped up just a tad bit, mm-hmm. and, and, and it needs like an hour and forty five. There, there's 15. kind of like in within Act Two and Act Three, he kind of goes by like three acts within each mm. of those acts. Like Act Two yeah. is like three murders three mysteries and then act three is like three separate shootouts um and i i like all three shootouts i but but yeah like the i i really like the grocery store stuff because that's when you get the most of kind of the supporting cops which i love all the actors involved in that yeah um shoots the tomato sauce oh god (laughs) (laughs) the olivia coleman the nothing like a little girl on girl eh? um but yeah and then but then they go into that kind of like car chase uh from from the grocery store to the model town that goes like a little long um yeah yeah and is nowhere near like his car chases for baby driver i think no. uh, as far as like form but then i i do love this and, and then he's doing like like kaiju stuff in the in the like small town scene yeah like yeah. in the in the model town uh portion so you know he's, he's i i the references for me keep it fresh but yeah i do think yeah. there's there's some pieces in between and 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 kind of the same way with act two like in between the three murders there's yeah there's some some 
connective tissue that could be trimmed. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. And we'll talk about that because he did. There was stuff that was cut from the movie, um, but the, it just felt like it needed like another week or two of ed- like a few weeks of editing. It feels like with and, and again, which is weird hey, to I, say I, about right because one thing you have it, to it say really about Edgar Wright is like a tight cut. Uh, I it, think his movies are tight, and and I was I, when, before I played it, I was like, this is two hours. <laughs> like I I didn't remember it being that long because like I remember we had a, I think we had a professor talk about like once you hit ninety minutes you have to give the audience a big reason of why that comedy is going over 90 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And, and then he's like, once you, and he's like, but once you're hitting two, you really got to give them a reason of why you're watching it. And he, and then I could just hear in my head someone go, and that's why funny people, people didn't like it because <laughs> funny people is two and a half hour. I love funny people, but anyway, uh, but funny people is two and a half hours long, but literally when that guy person said that I was like, that reminds me of funny people. Um, but it's like, yeah, you need to kind of, get in get out quick and hot this one just feels a tad bit longer than it could be is the thing um but again i i think if if right does this now he might trim, trim it but also too it's like it's of its time with that and like every piece uh exists in the moment it's kind of created so you wanted to have these specific things in there and you want to kind of parody this genre so much that you put so much stuff in there because because there's more thing we'll talk about later uh that feels like it's kind of just there for a joke but it just goes on too long um but yeah that's that's kind of all my stuff moving on to onset life in late 2005 the film's production company working title films approached several towns in southwest england to be the film's sanford Peg said that Wright and him were both from the are both from the West Country, and they thought it was the perfect and logical thing to drag those kinds of ideas and those genres and those cliches back to their beginnings, to where they grew up, so they could see high octane balls to the wall action in a small village. After considering several towns, the production landed on Wells in Somerset in England, which is Edgar Wright's hometown, hmm. and where he actually shot that short film dead right when talking about shooting in his hometown Wright said i love it but i want to trash it <laughs> but there was one issue in wells apparently in england i don't know how true this is i read this online apparently in england if there is a large cathedral nearby you're in a city and since england was built on religious beliefs that's how some people say that you classify cities is by how by the cathedrals that are built there and wells is technically a city, but a small one. But the movie is supposed to be a small village. So they had to digitally remove the cathedral from the background in any of the shots <laughs> this scene, which is hard to do because it's the center of the city. Mm, yep. They would, they would, however, use part of the church for several scenes, specifically the bi- Bishop's Palace, which is adjacent to the church. But I think it's where they kind of shot the church type scenes when they're at the, uh, when the, the, um, when he sees Tim or Tim Messenger and the Tim Messenger's death and some of the other stuff that they were shot there, so it was adjacent to this this, this church. Filming would move. Filming for the movie would begin on March fifteenth, two thousand six. For the visual style, here's where you 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 caught it. Wright said he was trying to emulate Tony Scott's work. Hmm. For the paperwork scenes, he wanted to shoot it like the scenes in Scott's Domino. Hmm. Was what he was referencing with the like. With the the and even the ending when like, it's the mug shots and the paperwork, he's like, I've never mm-hmm. seen p- paperwork shot like an action scene before. 
So he shot it like domino. So Tony Scott, really been in the news of late. I don't know if you saw this. David S. Goyer said that Tony Scott was Nolan's first choice for Man of Steel. I did see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or was one of the top choices. I don't know. Wow. I don't, don't, don't want to step on Zack Snyder. Where would we have been if that released oh, wow. the released the Scott cut? Oh God. We'd have had a Tony Scott Justice League movie. Jesus. That would have been insane. That would have been legitimately insane. I would have <laughs> loved it. I would have loved every second of it. I gotta be honest with you. Cause Tony, go, go check out if you haven't listened to it, go check out our Tony Scott series. Cause the man I, I I stand by the fact that I think he's one of the most influential directors in terms of our current look of like modern action films. Mm-hmm. I, like the look is just insane. Like Man on Fire and Domino are so are very like crazy. But when you go back and look at Top Gun and Days of Thunder, all those like Mavericks, Mavericks, the first movie that you actually feel like someone really tries to capture Scott and like directly reference what he's doing. It feels like mm-hmm. uh, on a big scale. Um, uh, so when in costume on set. Nick Frost and Simon Pegg often were assumed to be real police officers. Uh, many strangers would ask them for directions. And instead of telling them the truth, they just went along with it and gave them directions. When wearing his reverence costume, Paul Freeman was approached many times by strangers, assuming he was with the cathedral and was a priest there. The filming of Angel and Skinner's first meeting, uh, Timmy Dalton, uh, at the supermarket was filmed over the course of two days. The conversation was filmed entirely from Dalton's perspective first, and the next day, early in the morning, they shot Angel's perspective and the close-ups. Dalton, much to surprise the cast and crew, showed up early the next morning, and even though he wasn't going to be on camera for that, that portion, sat off camera in Skinner's chair and played the role so Peg could play off of him. Peg said it really showed Dalton's professionalism right from the very beginning. The film did a lot of special effects on set. Uh, there was a lot of blood, a lot of gore, especially as the film progresses that we talked about. The most time-consuming gore sequence was, can you guess? The church, the steeple. Yes, it was. Tim Messenger's head was crushed by a part of the village's church. A dummy was used against a green screen, and the head was detonated at the point when the object was about to impact the body is what it was. Throughout the films, over 70 gunfight shots were digitally augmented. Uh, the rationale being that the additional effects, the town, the town square shootout, for example, is full of extra little hits scattered throughout. So it feels like our hero really does have it all going off all around them. It's mm-hmm. a great, it was a great demonstration of how seemingly very trivial enhancements can make a difference when combined across the sequence. For the film's w- w- one year later ending, I read this somewhere. I don't know how true it is. But Wright wanted the scene to feel like a reshoot from bad test screenings of Danny dying. And he wanted to show like he <laughs> survived. So I think they even like shot it differently and want it to feel like kind of like again, emulate those old the cop movies of like one year later and mm. they're still together, they're still in the town, all that. Uh Timothy Dalton has said this film, particularly the sequence where Skinner and Angel are shooting at each other during the chase was the most fun he's ever had on a film. Jim, Jim Broadbent stated it was a thrill for him to be driving James Bond around during that sequence. Simon Pegg also stated, the, or stated that the sequence of the fist fight between Angel and Skinner was the same type of thrill for him to shoot, saying it was very much the, in the front of his mind that he was being shot at and fighting with James Bond. <laughs> Speaking of that final fight, I read that Pegg had to do it himself because his stunt double had recently broken his collarbone. 
Oh. So Peg had to do the whole big fight with Timothy Dalton and maybe probably Timothy Dalton's stunt double as well. But Peg had to do it all. Filming would last for 11 weeks. We're finally finishing at the end of the summer of 2006. And that takes us to Aftermath. So once filming wrapped, Wright would go to the editing room. And Wright said that he cut about a half hour of the movie. He cut out full scenes completely, but he also did a lot of trimming for comedy purposes. Wright was worried, however, during the editing, there would be a, there would be too much blood. He was afraid they'd get an 18-plus rating, which is basically the UK version of what the NC-17 rating is here. Oh, wow. Uh, it was the blood, but also like there was certain language stuff in there as well that he was surprised they actually didn't give him an 18-plus. The film would be released in the UK on February 16, 2006, uh, the premiere included escorts from motorcycle police officers and the use of a blue carpet instead of a red carpet. <laughs> the film would not be released in the U.S. until a few months later on, I'm sorry, February 16th, 2007. I think I might have most misspoken said 2006, 2007. Uh, the film would not be released in the U.S. until a few months later on April 20th, 2007. And for the release, the, ca- or the cast and crew went on a big press tour in the U.S. for the film. They hit up New York. San Francisco, Austin, Chicago, Atlanta, LA, and probably a few others. Wright said their favorite was Austin because he said Alamo Drafthouse really had the movie going experience down pat at that point in time. <laughs> this is 2007. Uh, they're really kind of ahead of the curve on like boutique movie houses, basically. One weird story <laughs> I never thought I'd include something like this in the podcast. During this press tour, Nick Frost started flushing cakes down toilets. <laughs> Frost got a cake for his birthday during the tour there in Chicago, and he said the idea came to him in a dream. He talked about how American toilets were much stronger than English toilets, and he could basically flush anything down them. There are videos on YouTube of them flushing down cakes <laughs> in toilets, and it's Edgar Wright, and it's uh, Peg and Frost. Apparently, this press tour crossed paths with the Superbad press tour. And at one point, Bill Hader, Jonah Hill, and Micah Sarah also did a cake down the toilet in honor of Oh, great. Uh, as I said earlier, they did, they did a joke interview with Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah where Edgar Wright interviewed him. And it was like a very like tense. And like it's funny when you read the comments, they're just like, some people realize the joke. And some people think, oh, wow, this is a really awkward interview for Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah. <laughs> but it's Edgar Wright just being awkward. For the end of the press tour, they finished in Los Angeles at Arclight Hollywood. R.I.P. Uh, they said the first night of their two nights in L.A., Quentin Tarantino was in the audience, and they asked if he could give them an intro really quickly, and he did. Also in the audience that night apparently was Jack Black and Eli Roth. Eli Roth. So for the second night, they got all of them to come back. Wright wanted to go all out, so they had Arclight, an Arclight employee introduce Eli Roth, who then introduced Jack Black who then introduced Quentin Tarantino, who then introduced the cast and crew of Hot Fuzz. <laughs> After the screenings were over, they would have a Q&A with the audience. And if you asked a question, they gave you a, co- a DVD copy of Bad Boys 2. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> they had done a screening of Hot Fuzz earlier at CAA, which is Creative Artists Agency in, in LA. And while there, they did like a, a goodie bag for everyone. And they gave away copies of Point Break and Bad Boys 2. At the end of that screening, all of the Point Break DVDs were gone, but they had 50 Bad Boys 2 DVDs left over. (laughs) 
right till the audience or, or basically so they, they started at the Q&A they basically gave away if you ask a question you get a bad voice 2 DVD <laughs> so at the end of the Q&A Tarantino had like five bad voice 2 copies left and Arclight's trying to get them out because there's another screening coming on and Wright's like okay we got two more questions and Tarantino goes we're not fucking going anywhere until I get rid of these bad boys two dvds and you have to ask a good question if you don't ask a good question you don't get a fucking dvd <laughs> the next person stood up and said hi i'm an aspiring director and quentin goes sit the fuck down <laughs> right so that was his favorite moment on the entire press tour was was quentin tarantino battering people to ask good questions to get bad boys two dvds what a what a what a weird fever dream uh, the film would end up being a box office success, grossing $80 million against a $16 million budget. The film would also gross about $50 million more than the, their previous film, Shaun of the Dead. It was also a critical hit, with many saying it was a step up from Shaun of the Dead. Uh, the film was also released on DVD, where it was like chock full of special features. It was like a two-disc set, I believe. Uh, Wright even did a com- commentary with Tarantino on there, and they apparently mention over 200 movies on that said commentary. The film's legacy has since grown with many calling it one of the best British films of all time. In 2016, Empire Magazine, a British magazine, ranked it as the 50th greatest British film of all time. And then in 2020, it named Hot Fuzz as the 67th greatest film of the 21st century. Which leads me to ask you, Thomas, is Hot Fuzz underrated? <laughs> no, it is. It is very, <laughs> very properly rated. I think most people are aware of it. I don't think you're going to go like, oh, you've never heard of Hot Fuzz. Um, yeah, I think when people bring up modern comedies online, Hot Fuzz always gets brought up. So, yeah. so yes, it is proper. I'm not right. saying you shouldn't enjoy Hot Fuzz. <laughs> I'm saying it is properly enjoyed. And it just, I mean, that is that is something that, that really, I don't know why it grinds my gears. But anytime somebody's like, oh, this is pretty underrated. And I'm like, no. You know, you know, what, you know what movie Dylan talks about? The Godfather. No one yeah. talks about the Godfather. Yeah. That's what you're basically saying. You're it's, basically it's saying it's just like it's it's okay to admit that something you like is like popular. You know, I think yeah. it's I think yes. that's part yes. of that. I think it's part of that that whole. And I mean, you know, it's been going. I, I used to listen to them before they were big. Like it's 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 part of that that same kind of movement where it's like I like this movie, but it's you know most people don't. It's like no, in fact, most most people do. Yeah, <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. It's okay to like it. Um, I think it's because it started off where like, like again, it made money. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't like $300 million, but it, it made money at the box office and it was a big hit on DVD. So like people knew about it. It was just because it didn't win Oscars because it wasn't a $300 million movie. People were like, Oh, it's underrated because it wasn't seen in the moment. But yeah, but that leads me to my next question, Thomas, what worked about hot fuzz? You know, I think Edgar, Edgar Wright, works for me at yeah. least you know this this the his his shtick of and you know it's it's funny that that tarantino was there because i think it's something it's it's very similar to tarantino but it's very different from tarantino in the way that yeah. he does it where i think i think part of the reason sometimes people get a little offended by tarantino is that like i think tarantino is like a little bit more like i i know this movie i've seen this movie so now i'm making it my own whereas i think right is a little bit more tongue-in-cheek of like I'm doing that. Like you see what you see what I'm doing here. Like this yeah. is, this is that. And this is that. And and sometimes it is something that is so obscure that you don't realize what it is until you go through his list of like yeah. a thousand movies. And then you're like, Oh, I see what he's doing there. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah i think i think we went through something kind of similar with last night in soho like i know a lot of people who saw it and they were like oh edgar wright they were like i thought this was going to be a comedy like edgar wright is just doing this kind of like horror movie but it's kind of like weird is it really horror and i'm like yeah it's giallo like he's 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 making a giallo and and he loves these and and that's what he wants to do um yeah but yeah i think i think this is of of the three that he did i think this one is kind of the most i mean i guess Shaun of the dead's pretty straightforward as far as like a zombie parody goes but like you know you can just see all the different fingerprints in this one where he was like i'm gonna take like every cop movie ever made every detective movie ever made every action movie ever made and i'm gonna make them all into one well this is the one like zombie films like were they weren't as big in the mainstream as cop movies like cop movies dominate with with if it's schwarzenegger if it's if it's stallone or like if it's it's tango and cash if Mm -hmm. it's red red heat like just these somewhat like mediocre but still beloved cop movies is the thing um of they also are time capsules of their era and he's okay can we take that and like and again this could be this could honestly if you want make it a more serious thing in a way where like again danny's character is like a a, a guy who's obsessed with american portrayal of cops and movies mm-hmm. you go a whole different route if you want to on that. um <laughs> yeah that's, that can be pretty problematic yeah but they're trying to make it like a fun mm-hmm. a- action buddy cop movie and i think it succeeds at that i think it succeeds at being a buddy cop movie I think it, it like it's I'm just one picturing that... a scene where like he goes over to the, his house and he's like, "You ever seen Training Day?" <laughs> it's just like, "Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like someone being like, you know what? I'm inspired by this movie called Wall Street. Um, really made me want to be a stockbroker. You ever heard of Huey Lewis in the news? <laughs> um, but no, I, I again, I think uh, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, work, I think the cast works overall. Um, I love the setting, how they use the village setting and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Simon Pegg's, I think Simon Pegg is really, I love Nick Frost, but Simon Pegg is really great in this movie. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that, you know, to, if you take the Cornello trilogy as a whole, he, he gives both of them the opportunity to play. Like, yeah. I think they're kind of both comic relief in the first, like me, no, nobody's really the straight man. And maybe, maybe his girlfriend and, and Shaun of the dead, but both yeah. of them are kind of buffoons. And then in this one, you you get kind of like the straight man and the and the goofy one, and then he lets them switch in yeah. in um, World's End, which is which is really funny. I think to, I just revisited World's End for the first time since theaters uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'd completely forgotten that like Nick Frost is like completely the straight man in that one. Yeah. And when they yeah. go to visit him, and he's just like a lawyer at his desk, I was like, oh, this is so weird because out of the the other two, like he's always like very goofy and and, and kind yeah. of buffoonish. Well, it's like a really obscure reference here, but like it's the movie Neighbors with uh, uh, not Seth Rogen, Zach Efron, but with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, mm. where they switch roles and Aykroyd's the kind of crazy off the wall guy, and John Belushi's the suspenders and glasses and like the married man with mm-hmm. like a regular life. It's like they completely switch attitudes, basically. Is that Dan Aykroyd's the Tasmanian devil and Belushi's the accountant, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and then, yeah, they do that with that one with that with world's end. But yeah, I love everybody here. I think, you know, if you take kind of the Cornetto trilogy as a whole and, and Edgar Wright's other films, he's, he's somebody who obviously very no, knows how to write for supporting characters and yeah. can motivate, you know, people of, of 
of all kind of uh, types of fame or, or types of yeah. actor to to take on these kind of supporting roles. It works yeah. very well in this genre, as we've talked about, as a very kind of character actor supporting role uh, focused subgenre. But I mean, even, you know, I, I, I walked out of, well, you you and I walked out of, of Baby, uh, Driver. Baby Driver and was just like, man, John Hamm, like I was kind of worried about where John Hamm was going to land after Mad Men and it came out of ba- Baby Driver. I was like, all right, okay, John Hamm. Like, I, I, here's the thing. I, I, I don't know. I haven't watched all of his movies in a while. I, I still think Baby Driver is my favorite film by, by uh, Edgar Wright. Because mm. I I can remember, I, I'm sorry, I'm jumping off of a, not the movie we were talking about today, but I remember us in that theater at the Grove. Small, it was a small theater we were in because it was like a press screen for some reason we got into. And that opening, I was just like, this is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's how you open a movie. Like, yeah. legitimately, it's just an amazing opening. And it talking was, about... It was like a month and a half before it hit theaters. I remember yeah, just coming coming we out of it and sick, being like, yeah. I was like, I can't believe I can't get to see that. I, I don't get to see that movie again until like yeah. a month and a half from now. Because it was like, it was like a press thing, right? And like, we, we mm-hmm. got just like advanced tickets. And like, we were in the one row that was like for non-press people. Yeah. And I was just like, "Yo, this is this is great," and and I had I'd heard after that that like basically Sony realized how like what they had in their hands in that movie because that's where I think Wright really masters his self. Like it becomes a direct. Like he really masters. Yeah, it's it's, it's not movie. a parody. It's still got all the homage no. in there, but it it, it functions yes. as its own movie. I think. Yeah. You know, it it he he's putting all these references in there, but the movie itself is not constantly like kind of like like winking at you and being like, "Oh, did you catch yeah. that? Did you catch that?" Like yeah. it just functions as its own story but even when he does do that it's like i, I think with this movie too it's like there is a heart to it all there's mm-hmm. a heart in baby dry there's a heart in this there's a heart in uh Shaun of the dead there's a heart and uh world's end um there is something there and even to an extent extent scott pilgrim versus the world <laughs> um um but yeah and also the, going what we said earlier too about his his ability to direct people of levels of fame uh stature talent but like again someone that pops to mind of like giving a great performance in his one of his movies uh is diana rigg and last night at soho i think she's mm-hmm. amazing as the the landlady um mm-hmm. but anyway that's enough about what worked about many of edgar wright's movies not just hot fuzz uh did anything not work about hot fuzz thomas i mean yeah i think we hit on it i think it's i think it's a little long i think especially and i think it's especially noticeable for someone like like right who did something like baby driver which is like so tight like tight tight uh, movie. <laughs> and, tight and, movie. and someone who he does these like crazy sequ- you know editing sequences and and yeah i think it is a yeah. little bit noticeable at some times where this one he he lets it sit where kind of the joke of the movie is meant to be kind of how fast it moves um Yes. I think that might be the influence of kind of this subgenre because because a lot of this subgenre That's is fair. about letting it sit. It's about being in a small town and just kind of soaking it all in. Yeah. And and I I think he does at some points try and like in the in the second act especially try and like ease that in mm-hmm. to the movie. Um. But but because this movie is either like a sight gag or an action sequence for yeah. most of it then when it does kind of sit it feels a little off yeah no i, I agree I, mean, I, I like some of the scenes where i do early on they have moments when, when like when uh when angel and danny are like talking about the cop stuff and kind of revealing that that stuff's good that's it but what works with that section is that you're, you're cutting back and forth between them having that moment well, that, 
later with the watching the movies, them having that moment, and then the guy in the mansion blowing up basically. It's mm-hmm. like so that's it, it moves well while still growing the relationship basically. Um, I I don't really love the tacked on ending of <laughs> the explosion of the of the police station and everything. Yeah. I think you can I think the movie's over. I think the movie is over when the stuff happens. Bill Nye shows up and they're like, We want you back. And he's like, you know what, man? I, we're gonna stay and here. And then they're all like they're all getting along with each other at this I love that that scene yeah. when they're all like getting yeah. along at the station. Um, yeah. and he's like fitting in and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's I like that, but I just don't love the like we gotta have the guy show up all of a sudden, which we all of a sudden forgot about um and then he blows up the, the entire place blows up you end on the like oh my god danny and then one year like the, the one year later the explosion's just there to get that one year later is all it is like mm-hmm. and i i feel like you could have just ended it in a different it feels like just one too many you're pulling one too many strings to the end right there is what it mm-hmm. feels like and i feel like you can you can transition away where you have the joyous like nature with everyone and then them going back out like on the the job together and then even even having the stuff at the gravesite or whatever but like it's just there to be a reveal that like oh danny died but didn't it's like it, it felt like the joke was too big if that makes mm-hmm. sense like the joke was too complex when we're we're we've, we're going down the hill and all of a sudden we go back up it real quick and it just it feels like a weird jolt mm-hmm. and i don't i don't love it as a thing yeah i get that so yeah yeah Anything else on that one? I think that's it. Okay. Film facts. Uh, I'm not going to name all the references in this movie, so feel free to go check it out somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> there, there's there's a lot of them in there. We've, we've mentioned all the different cameos. We didn't mention Stephen Merchant, who pops mm, up yep, very yep, briefly. The, the swan owner. Yeah, the swan owner. <laughs> um, there, at the beginning of the movie, there's like there's a start. There's this like sirens going off at the start of the film. They use mm-hmm. 27 different sirens that were mixed together to create that siren effect. Wow. Uh, Edgar's brother, Oscar, who's an animator, did Danny's flipbook movie, flipbook animation mm, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, Samson the dog, who played Saxon the dog in the movie, that's the that's the police dog, was not allowed to become a real police dog because he was considered too friendly. Oh, good for you, Saxon. So he's a little sweet dog in this movie. Well, <laughs> always, always there. Uh, last thing, uh, Edgar Wright used to work at the supermarket that Skinner owns in the movie, uh, and, appa- and apparently Skinner was based off his old boss. <laughs> uh, Wright actually cameos in one of the supermarket scenes as a shelf stacker, which was the job he held when he worked there. On to awards. The Beatrice Strait Award actor excellent scenes that kills it. Who do you have here, Thomas? Does Does Olivia Coleman count? for this i would count olivia coleman for this i okay. would i would count olivia coleman for this I, I i i don't know if patty constantine and rafe spall count here as well but i do love them especially together they have a little I'm bit a, more but yeah they're great i'm a big rafe spall guy i'm a big patty constantine guy oh man i remember yeah seeing the um when the michael fassbender Macbeth movie came out and that was like buff patty constantine i was like whoa yeah patty constantine's getting serious now and that yeah. and then and then house of the dragon but um yeah i've always enjoyed him but he's also, um, he's also great in dead man's shoes dead mm. man's shoes is a good movie that he, he actually co-wrote have you seen uh, that one i have not check that out shane meadows it's, it's, i think that's one you would like hmm. 
but yeah, I, I like Rafe Spall. There was a moment where it felt like Rafe Spall was kind of kind of break out in America, and then I don't. I feel yeah. like he didn't quite make it. There's a rom com he was in called "I Give It a Year" that I I really enjoy. Um, oh, I've never seen that. I think Stephen Merchant's in that as well. Um, I think it is it Roseburn, him and Roseburn and Anna Ferris. Yeah, mm-hmm. Roseburn, Anna Ferris, Jason Fleming, Stephen Merchant, Olivia Coleman. Yeah. God, she yeah i like that one it's everything. kind of it's it's interesting it's it's like a rom-com it's like it's basically like a couple who are very obviously not well matched for each other get married and then within the next year kind of both separately fall in love with someone else mm-hmm. and so they both kind of have their like little rom-coms going on in addition to like their marriage dissolving it's it's fun mm-hmm. i i like that one. that was like back in like early netflix instant days netflix had that one in yeah, 2013 yeah yeah, he he was he was that it's it was that and like I mean he popped up in Big Short, mm, Life of, uh, Life of Pi, Life of Pi. Um, he's also he's also in a he's in Men in Black, uh, whatever it is, International. Yeah, yeah he's in that. He's yeah, also I in think Don't. It, he's also in Don't. Yes, he is way. in Don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, he and Patty Constantine together are great, great timing, they, they great are. comedic timing, great kind of back and forth very fun i i would go olivia coleman just because yes, she yeah. is she is someone the character at least someone i thought about for years and then did not realize it was her mm-hmm. but that character has always stuck with me <laughs> so we'll go to olivia coleman here on that one uh for annie potts x factor award supporting actor actress is the most memorable it's timothy dalton i think it's timothy dalton i think it's, i think jim broadbent is a good runner-up here but Timothy Dalton's mustache smile is just too good. Yeah, and I think Jim Broadbent's kind of there to be Jim Broadbent until the end. You know, it's like he's there yes, to kind of be yes. that character that we know of him until kind of the the twist comes, and that makes the twist like more effective. Yeah. Um, but Timothy uh, Timothy Dalton's playing this like mustache twirling like yeah snidely whiplash almost kind of it's it's yes, you know it's yes. so, so <laughs> obvious that he's the bad guy. Um, yes. It's, at it's one point, really at great. One point, at one point, Edgar Wright wanted to find a way to, to shoot a scene that had him standing in front of a sign that said "bad guy," but he, <laughs> could, he couldn't figure out a way to do it. Just want to bash your head in and get all those secrets. <laughs> Slasher, <I'm a> Slasher. <laughs> <laughs> he again, he is phenomenal in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's great. So, Timmy Dalton, any Potts X Factor Award winner. All right, Gene Hackman MVP Award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor etc it's it's gotta be edgar wright it's, it's edgar like, wright yeah like there, there's there's the argument to do edgar wright and simon Pegg, but i think wright and i don't know if we talked we haven't talked about that much we talked about his visual style kind of copying like or trying to emulate tony scott and others but uh, he really knows how to direct like like that he, he even though we say it's slow he can keep things moving and, mm-hmm. and the way he edits his movies it's like he he shoots them that way is the yeah. thing. It's not like he creates them fully in the edit. He's shooting them that way, and yeah. that's that's commendable and, and amazing to see when done incredibly well. That's you know, and that's that's something that I've seen a lot of people talk about. I feel like that conversation's kind of died down a little bit now that we just don't have, get comedies at all anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, shout out to Greta Gerwig for finally giving <laughs> us one this year. But um, but you know, in in the early kind of 2010s kind of as the apatow era was was sinking mm-hmm. uh there was this conversation of like you know the the whole 
Apatow and all these directors who came up under him, you know, it was this idea of like set the camera up, light it bright, and then let everybody go and like yeah. get as many improv, get as much improv as you can. Like it'll it'll cut together eventually, and whereas this is whereas Edgar Wright was visually directing for comedy, that was directing yes. for like performance comedy, and Edgar Wright is like in the exact opposite direction. It is everything is tight, everything is blocked, yeah. everything is staged perfectly, and it's still for the service of a punchline, but it yeah. comes off as something completely different when yeah. when you put it all together. Well, that was the Tony Jal every frame, every frame of painting thing back in the day of mm-hmm. like Edgar Wright's visual comedy, uh, how he directs and like yeah, it's like again talk going back to like Simon Pegg's uh, talking about the rehearsal process and like I've talked about with with Wright's research is that I think he's underrated and they people don't realize that oh he's just writing a comedy but he spends just so much time researching something even if it's last last night in Soho probably researching the period of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I think yeah. I think the only people we've really gotten in the last couple of years that have kind of come close to that is um are are John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. I think mm-hmm. with that was what I kind of walked out of game night with was like, wow, that was like I agree with you on that. That was yes, like shot to be that was shot as a comedy. Like that yes, was yes. uh tight and with intention. And and I, I I've watched a lot of the kind of like behind the scenes stuff for uh dungeons and dragons as well and it's something that was like you know there's all this practical effects and all this stuff kind of put into for purely for the service of punchline and yeah and so i think i think the art is is still alive you know unfortunately we're just not getting that many comedies at all um i still haven't seen bottoms yet i very much want to see bottoms shiva baby shiva baby was one that was kind of like you know it was cut like cut like a thriller um yep but uh but yeah hope, hopefully edgar wright's kind of led this charge and as much as i love those kind of you know the mumblecore movement and the and the yeah. the apatow movement and the kind of like just set it up and let these actors improv i like that energy as well but there's something so admirable about like because mm-hmm. for a long time comedic filmmaking was thought of as kind of lazy and and you know to have the utmost care and effort put into the yeah. filmmaking for a comedy is really commendable and i do think right really kind of like saved that as an art form for his era all right final questions who would you cast well we talked about 80s and 90s movies that he references so i Mm -hmm. said make an 80s movie of this Mm -hmm. if this movie came out in the 1980s thomas who who would be part of your cast for hot fuzz h-o-t-t fuzz yes um I just I just did Skinner and and the two leads, but I can do I can That's do more fine. if needed. But Skinner, Sean Connery. Yeah. Yes, that makes sense. So for the leads, I was trying to think of like you know who was who was in comedy in the yeah. '80s, like who kind of had a similar vibe as these guys. And I think if you're really trying to replicate, especially them coming off of Spaced, um, I think if you're really trying to replicate kind of the the chemistry and the the history and and the uh, kind of comedy duo mm. of it all. I think it's Fry and Laurie, like mid right. mid to late eighties. It's Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry. Like their show, I think came out in like eighty six. Yeah. Um, and I think it would. Yeah, I think you, you, Hugh Laurie as as Nick Angel, Stephen yep. Fry as as uh, Danny. Um, it's it's almost too good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it almost like fits too perfectly. Mm-hmm. Because that, because like, just even like the physicality of it, 
It's like Fry's a little bit, a little bit like heavier guy compared mm-hmm. to Lori. It's like Lori's the skinny. Yeah, it's Laurel and Hardy. You know, it's yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Like... <laughs> it's Ackroyd and Pelushi is yeah. the thing. Like that's what it is. Um, I like that. I like that trio a lot. I mean, yeah, it's gotta be Connery. Just that, that, yeah. I do I do I, really love going going back to World's End uh when Pierce Brosnan showed up, I was like, Oh yeah. Uh I love that got, they like, kept that going. Two. <laughs> you got two. He just he need he, he just needs Craig and something, right? Craig's mm-hmm. never done anything he's done. No, that's the next thing. Does this film fit with any other genres, Thomas? Oh god. Um It's a cop movie. It's an action. It's a, cop, it's a buddy cop buddy, buddy, buddy cop. movie. Yeah. It's a uh, giallo. It's uh, um, yeah. I think that I think that, that yeah, yeah. covers it. But but it's Action. stuck in a small. It's all of those it's things while stuck, stuck in a small town. A small and that, town. And like you said, when when with kind of his idea for the original short, it it is all of everything. All of these genres are are taken and filtered through this this month's subgenre. The stuck in a small town shot subgenre. That is the central yeah. joke. You know, through it all, the 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 giallo, the murders, the shootout at the end, all of it is the the punchline is in a tiny village. It's in a tiny village. <laughs> yep, that's what it is. And then speaking of that, how does this film fit within this genre of stuck in a small town? Yeah, I mean, we, we obviously we get the we get a lot of the local color. That's uh, that's what a lot of the film is about, and and we you know we see angel kind of learn the lesson to like be a little bit more chill be a little bit more lax especially Mm -hmm. when you're in this small town and you know everyone kind of involved you can kind of you know a crime isn't isn't a hardline crime um and and you you see him understand kind of like the passion for for being a cop beyond just like arresting people so so a lot of that kind of lessons and i mean yes he does i guess he brings he brings some stuff to the town i think he he gives everyone the opportunity to be a better cop so so there's there's a little bit of of a give and take and then and then he stays you know we've talked about not not many of them conclude with staying but this one this one does does. and then that's it on the questions of this movie but let's go into final genre questions thomas Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. or are there any movies we didn't cover this month that you want to shout out here um yeah so i mean there's one in particular that i really love that um fits within this subgenre that we have technically already covered on the podcast so we didn't really bring it up but i mean uh witnesses is, is a masterpiece i, I think yeah. um obviously my fellow weirdos know how i feel about peter weir films um but yeah i think i think witness is an incredible film and i think it's a really yeah. good one that that fits within this um i also really like um babette's feast i really love mm-hmm. that movie i was just i was just recommending it to somebody this week it's a really nice film mm-hmm. about art and passion and and kind of charming um i think you mentioned it last week i hadn't mentioned it before but you mentioned it on on bad day at black rock that asteroid city was what kind of kicked this all off yeah uh, as a, as a month so if anybody hasn't seen asteroid city yet definitely check that one out it's it's kind of wes anderson's take on this genre um my cousin vinny fits within this one uh yeah we've covered on this yeah amy and i did an episode on that yeah yeah which we've we've also covered on this month and then um i i enjoyed i really enjoyed uh vengeance last year the bj novak um Mm. uh kind of dark comedy mystery um yeah and then 
one more shout i shouted out a lot of tv shows on this one yeah but one that i really love that fits within this is uh trial and error that was on nbc oh, yeah. good luck finding it in this era <laughs> of impairments and and streaming but um really legal, legal fees yeah really really kind of whip smart uh true crime parody series on yeah. nbc that was uh ran for two seasons and was just fantastic i loved it and it was set in south carolina so there you go that yeah, and doc hollywood <laughs> yes the alley has ever said in the movie ever directly <laughs> but it is south carolina uh yeah there were a few this is interesting this is a very it was a, it was a small list but some really heavy hitters in this list this this month uh list you can find on our letterbox by the way just stuck in a small town. Yeah, I we came close to doing that. I really love in the heat of the night, City Forty Eight. I I Paul St- or, or Rod Steiger. I really really want to do that one. I we I gotta find a way to do it at some point. <laughs> so I don't know when that's gonna happen, but I want to do that one again. I want to do that one at some point. Uh, I was really close on Gross Point Blank as well. Mm. I really love that movie. I I that's when I feel like I watch a lot every few like once every year or two. Like just Cusack, Cusack and his peak is just electric to me. Just like it's just the cool like rebel with the charm mm. is the thing. And so I was close to that one. I really wanted to do the terminal. That was the big one I, <laughs> I wanted to do um, as a really unique one for stuck in a small town. I love the terminal. Rewatched that one recently as well. Still love it. I I think it's one of Spielberg's more underrated films that everyone just like forgets is really good. They're just like, ah, oh, no, it's not that good. It's too, it's too like schmaltzy or sentimental. But I think it, uh, he again. I think we're in a. It's weird seeing this, but I feel like we're in a weird reappraisal of Spielberg. I'm noticing on Twitter, like there's a little bit of, of discourse around his. I've seen a lot of Munich stuff popping up lately. I've seen a lot of Munich. I, I've seen like Bridges Spy stuff pop up recently. I've seen a lot of stuff of people relooking at movies that were considered like sentimental or this no like, actually no he was pretty dark in these movies now we think about seeing war of the worlds pop up so terminal give it a shot it's his pre it's his it's his uh movie right after 9 11 his first one and i think it's very interesting it's his 9 11 trilogy as i call it with that war of the worlds and munich it's his 9 11 new york trilogy because new york also plays a part in all three of those movies at some point um but those are my big three that i wanted to kind of shout out and so our terminal gross point blake in the heat of the night shot in the mouth of madness we're also close on that one as a horror movie for this genre um all great films and then finally what did you learn from this month thomas uh you know i think i learned that the tropes here and the story structure here is a lot more uh is a lot more similar throughout than i was expecting yeah, same. i was, I was kind of like oh you know these like hallmark movies have like ripped it off and become so repetitive but i mean it is all the structure is all there and um you know if, if you haven't checked out yet our patreon episode where we break down three and and find three of yeah. these movies within this subgenre and find that they're very very similar throughout um but then you know what what i think something we we learn a lot on this podcast and, and it, what i think is really important about exploring genres is even if something is repetitive even if there are like a lot of tropes within a genre then it kind of allows unique voices you know i i feel like when somebody has a voice and has a purpose in taking it on that genre then it becomes kind of it, it, it can feel fresh it can feel yeah and and so you know that's what we we get with something like local hero or to wong fu or mm-hmm. you know with with hot fuzz i think it's really interesting to see someone with a very clear point of view 
take on an established subgenre and established story structure and established trope. So that's been yeah. very fun to do this month. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. I think it's, I didn't realize how tight it was going to be or similar each one was going to be and how you can like spot the, oh, here's the local color, bring in the character. I also just how big character actors were this month with a lot mm. of these movies. Um, and just, and also the idea of like, not the stock in a small town, but also making sure the character has a previous life where it's like, saying they need to learn something is the mm -hmm. thing it's like yeah everything's going well for them again it's very much like the hallmark or whatever where it's like oh it's the overworked woman who goes and finds this man in a, in a, in a small town somewhere but like that's what kind of is that they all are like hyper focused on their job and they gotta learn to slow things down a little bit and it's about connection i think that's a big key with a lot of these movies is the the importance of connection connecting with people if it's local hero, mm -hmm. if if it's Groundhog Day, if it's Doc Hollywood, if it's Elizabeth Town, which we talk about on our Patreon as well, coming up soon, like it, that's all a big part of a lot of these movies. Maybe not every one of them, like not really as bad day at Blackrock, but like it's a it's a big one with a lot of these more dramedy centric movies within this genre. So, so yeah. And then speaking of our Patreon, like Thomas said, we have our triple feature of Doc Hollywood, Cars, and Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. And we also have Elizabeth Town that Tom, the David and I did that comes out soon before the end of the month, which is a, which is a fun one. Um, again, join our Patreon if you can. We have the one dollar, five dollar, ten dollar tiers. You'll get more content from us, and we'll talk more about movies. And your uh, your contribution will help create the show, and hopefully, we can do more things as well. Support us if you can that way. And it's October next month, so we're talking about horror films. So be prepared. We'll be talking about an interesting kind of little, little subgenre of horror films called social horror. And and thinking about a lot of horror films, they all, a lot of them have social issues or political issues that are kind of involved in the story of them. But we'll be kind of talking about some of the bigger ones that pop out to us. And next week, the first one of the month, we'll be talking about Jordan Peele's Get Out. So get if you can. It's streaming on Peacock and Tubi if you can watch it. And yeah, it's going to be an interesting deep dive into horror films for October. So get ready for some horror films. Uh, hopefully you're watching horror films as the month goes on. So that's next that's next month. But that's all we have for this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact the Cinemation Podcast at gmail.com. We read them. I'll answer them if I can. I've had several uh, exchanges with people when they email me. So feel, feel free to send us your questions, comments, anything. We'll respond at some point, even on Instagram or something. Um, and if you're new listener to the show or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to do so to stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. For the greater good. <laughs> we really didn't even talk about that, by the way. <laughs> for, for the greater Great bit. Great, great bit. Uh, shut it! Anyway. <laughs> five stars for the greater good. And finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, X, formerly known as Twitter, or Twitter, now known as X, Letterboxd, and TikTok. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. <laughs>